Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. With me today, Jamie Wilkerson. Good day to you, Jamie. Good day, it is. <laughs> it is a good day. And it it's always a good, a good day. day when you join me. Thanks oh, thank for coming you. alongside. So good to be here. I've so enjoyed our conversations over the last couple of weeks about human flourishing. The idea of human flourishing is long established. It goes back to ancient time. It's discussed in secular venues and in religious venues and uh, all kinds of people and thought leaders talk about it these days. We live in a world especially where many people are not flourishing, it seems. And sometimes I'm wondering, am I flourishing? And man, the world we live in, Jamie, has just been turned upside down. Think about the pandemic and all the things we can and cannot do. The economic consequences of the pandemic and then all the social justice and equity issues that have surfaced uh, in these days too that are inescapable in the headlines. There's so much to think about, so many broken places. I mean, it's overpowering. But we're talking about human flourishing. Do you think it's possible? Can we taste it even here and now? I believe so. We're going to talk about it. Thanks for joining us. So when I say human flourishing, Jamie, what do you think about? What comes to your mind? How would you define that? I would define it as just a place where you're healthy, you're growing, you're developing um, spiritually, mentally, in every area. Absolutely. It's the good life in a way. Good life could be seen as a life of ease and luxury. But but Mm -hmm. I think in the most elemental sense, the good life is just what you described. We're experiencing life abundantly, fabulously, extravagantly in healthy ways where we're growing and stretching but excited and it's an adventure and we know how to play, we know how to rest and we know how to enjoy, we know how to laugh. I mean, the world around us is so far removed from that. It's so hard to face the reality of our world sometimes. And even in my own world, I find myself sidetracked. So for instance, I'm not in a headline but I still have things I've suffered loss during the pandemic. I've mm-hmm. uh, had self-doubt about what am I doing and am I doing it the right way? Does my life make a difference? Am I really wasting my time? Is it ever going to be hopeful again? Will we ever go back to the way things were? Will we come to a better place? I mean, all of that kind of creates some stretching and anxiety in a way that doesn't seem like it's giving life. It seems like it's robbing life. Have you had any of that yourself where you're just wonder what's going to happen next. What is it in these days that you're frustrated about? So as you know, I don't like surprises. And so for me, it's just a constant state of uncertainty. I guess if I watch the news and, you know, and I listen to what's going on in the world, not knowing what's going to happen next. Um, I've heard a lot of predictions, but um, no clear plan. I mean, you know, it's just... You kind of wake up and just pray that everything's going to be okay that day. But I think that's been one of the the greatest frustrations. And then not really knowing, um, I feel, enough information about the virus. And and then I think about flu season when that happens and the collision um, of everything that's going on in our world. Just all of that at one time. And it just, yeah. It's it's hard to flourish. It's much easier to get into bed and pull the head over my covers and <laughs> yes, just try to pretend to, and shut it out. <laughs> and yet, I still think it's possible to flourish. Jimmy, here's my 
my frame of reference for my world. I think for the world. This is really pretentious, <laughs> but I think this is the way the world is framed. God created the world, and when he did, it was his intention for humans to flourish. And I think that because the very beginning of history in, in a spiritual sense is situated in Eden, this famous garden of ancient time, this perfect world. I mean, think about the Garden of Eden. What's good about Eden? What do you think about Eden when I say that word? I just think that it's a place where there was complete tranquility, um, plenty. The food was perfect. You know, you didn't have to you didn't have to worry about going to a particular tree and the fruit being bad or didn't taste or tasted off. I just see harmony everywhere. You know, I just, I just think of just perfection. It was perfection, I think. I, I think it's a world without stress. Yes. How about that? I mean, I don't see Adam and Eve described as the first people uh, there stressed out about anything. And what causes stress in our lives? Well, my relationships cause stress mostly, and yet they had a relationship that was stress-free. There, there are no quarrels. They're not debating. They just seem to enjoy each other's company. They wake up every day and, and experience life, and they flourish in this garden environment. They're the stewards of the garden, so they have some things to do there, uh, but they seem to do it, seem to experience it in a whole life-giving way. It doesn't drain from them. It adds to them. It doesn't rob them of anything. It just gives back to them. Their relationships with each other are perfect. Their relationships to their environment are perfect. The garden does not threaten them. Today, mm -hmm. we live in an environment that threatens us. Yeah. Uh, there are so many things about nature that have been corrupted from Eden's time, where natural disasters stalk us sometimes, and disease is a, is a corruption of the material world, isn't it? Where a virus or a bacteria goes rogue and robs life instead of giving life, and so... Our environment is not in perfect harmony with us, but in Eden it seemed to be. Their relationship to God, their maker, was perfect. They had a communion with God. They interacted with God. They had conversations with God. He was present, and they were all for it. They didn't uh, want to run away or hide. They just enjoyed the company of their maker, and presumably he did enjoy their company too. And they were at peace with themselves. They knew who they were. They understood the moral order. They were dependent on this God who was loving and kind, and they were at peace with that and weren't trying to be more than that. They just flourished. And wow, can we ever get back there? I have to say the world has gone so far that it won't be restored to an Eden-like experience until Jesus comes back, I think, and makes all things new. But until then, he has given us some clues about how we can still taste Eden and how we can flourish and continue to grow in our flourishing here and now. So for instance, Jim, look at the Sermon on the Mount. Are there some clues for us to live the flourishing life? Absolutely, I think so. The Sermon on the Mount is, is this extraordinary teaching of Jesus that's captured for us in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, and especially Matthew chapter 5, where we have the Beatitudes. That's a portion of the larger Sermon on the Mount. Mm -hmm. uh, we have this catalog of ideas that I think are keys to human flourishing. Human flourishing, as presented in my understanding by Jesus, has to do with things in the heart first, that our own hearts have to be reformed and born again, refashioned. And when that happens, 
we will become instruments then to help others flourish as well. But we have to look inward and think carefully about who we are and take our cues from the Sermon on the Mount in our characteristics and our virtues and in our basic being that will allow God to inform us, allow Jesus to fashion us to become instruments in this world. And both of those are necessary to flourish. So in the Sermon on the Mount, there's this whole list of blesseds. Most people have heard something, blessed are they who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit, and so on. There's one in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, that especially seems to resonate with our news today. What does it say, Jamie? It says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they shall be satisfied. Well, let's just talk about that blessed part. Jamie, uh, sometimes when I hear the word blessing, I think about some kind of like magic dust or some hocus pocus, some kind of like throwing something on somebody where they spark a little bit for a while, like a momentary thing. But I think there's more in this. What do you think? What could this be, this blessed are those? What do you think is intended? Well, I think one um, one translation gives a good definition of that word, and it's with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of outward conditions. So it's a sense of inner peace and Inner peace, contentment. inner contentment, despite what's going on around. A kind of shalom-like peace exactly. that you told me once you thought of it, Eden, was, was like yes. this peaceful mm-hmm. state of being. And that's what your definitions there are explaining, that when the scripture says God blesses, he's actually talking not about just a moment, like a breath of blessing, but actually a state of being. Someone who can experience an ongoing, day-to-day experience of flourishing with the favor and the peace of God himself. And here, Jesus is giving us a key to human flourishing in this verse. God will bless, he will provide favor, he will provide peace and contentment, he will fill with satisfaction and wholeness those who hunger and thirst after justice. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been hungry and thirsty for something just in ordinary life? I mean, really, those are powerful verbs, aren't they? Hungry, thirsty. I mean, there's kind of some primal thing about Craving it. Craving it. (laughs) That crave is a great word. Uh, And that's what's suggested here, that flourishing, human flourishing is in some way going to be found when we hunger and thirst, when we have something that's a craving hunger in our souls. And I think all of us know what that's like because we've all craved things. But the things I crave aren't always the right things. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Right now, for instance, I could so use a... Bavarian cream-filled chocolate eclair. <laughs> I could crave that. Like minds think alike. I was just thinking about Long's Donuts. <laughs> well, there you go. Or how about this? I know that you have some time at Starbucks, and they have these dark chocolate-covered graham crackers, and oh, sometimes yes. I just I just crave those. Yes. But that's not necessarily going to make my life flourish. Right. Uh, it'll <laughs> make, make something my, else flourish. <laughs> it'll make my body bigger, but it won't necessarily make my life flourish. But this idea of craving, what if I took that hunger, that same concept, and I focused it on justice? Whoa, what does that mean? 
if I could focus my hunger and thirst on justice, then I could flourish, that God would make me satisfied. That's what Jesus is promising. That's the key. This verse is sometimes in the older translations have been defined as God blesses those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. But this word righteousness and the word justice in the New Living Translation, which you have read just now, Jamie, uh, are very similar. What do you think they mean? How do you interpret them? So righteousness, I actually um, looked that up in my favorite Webster's Dictionary, 1828 version, that it's purity of heart and rectitude of life, conformity of heart and life to the divine law, righteousness as used in scripture and theology in which it is chiefly used is nearly equivalent to holiness, comprehending holy principles and affections of heart and conformity of life to the divine law. It includes all we call justice, honesty, and virtue with holy affections. In short, it is true religion. And then justice um, is equity between man and man. So righteousness encompasses all that is just, and justice itself is a kind of equitable relationship. Uh, and Martin Luther King said famously that, uh, and I'm kind of paraphrasing him here, but that Peace is not the absence of conflict. It is the presence of justice. In other words, you, you can't have real peace as long as injustice has a seat at the table. And these concepts all weave together. And what Jesus is telling us is that if we want to truly flourish, if I really want to find a sense of life, then I need to hunger and thirst after justice and righteousness. I need to crave these. I need to allow my body to reach for those and pursue those. And that has to be something that's woven inside of me and that propels me to help bring justice and righteousness into the world around me. Harvard University has long had a project on human flourishing and uh, in recent years, they've partnered with Baylor University and the Gallup Polling Organization to do a survey of what is human flourishing? What are the metrics of human flourishing? How do we know if we're actually flourishing? And they're interviewing 300,000 people around the world wow. in different cultures and so on to kind of ascertain how human flourishing is understood and what are the metrics of it in these different cultures and continents and so on. And there are six big buckets that they have identified as, as the metrics or the measuring stick, the yardstick of human flourishing. The first is called happiness and life satisfaction. In other words, how can we be actually flourishing as people if we're not happy and if we're not satisfied? And actually this key that Jesus has given us in the Beatitudes is talking about satisfaction. You will be satisfied, Jesus said, if you hunger and crave after justice. But that's one of the metrics of this kind of secular approach to human flourishing. A second bucket is mental and physical health, that how we think and how we understand our bodies is a key to our human flourishing. The third, though, is what really jumped off the page of me as I was thinking about this passage, and that's meaning and purpose. I think it's so interesting that even those who are in the secular world thinking about human flourishing have acknowledged it's not possible to flourish as a person if you don't have a sense of meaning and purpose, something beyond yourself. Because you can have money, you can have opportunity, you can have pleasure, you can have travel, you can have all kinds of things, good health to boot, and many friends. But if there's no meaning or purpose in your life, you're not going to be happy. You will not be satisfied. You will not find fulfillment. 
without a meaning and purpose. And this key that Jesus is giving us, a hunger and thirst, a craving for righteousness, for justice, boy, that speaks to me about meaning and purpose. I'm here to help advance the cause of justice and righteousness in the world for Jesus' sake. And that's where I will be satisfied. So human flourishing is so much a part of that definition. Another metric that the Harvard School has developed for human flourishing is character and virtue. And that is the acknowledgement, again, I think so extraordinary that even in a secular pursuit, this has surfaced. You can't really be content, you can't really be at peace, you can't really flourish if you don't have a sense of a moral order, which leads to character and virtue. In other words, there are certain things to which we arise and we want to embrace that have to do with character and virtue, and that's about the moral order of the world around us. We need close social relationships. And without justice, you can't really have close social relationships, can we? As, as long as we're not on the same plane, our relationships are always going to be hobbled by inequities. And again, justice is going to help us get there, and you can't flourish without close social relationships. Everybody cannot be your servant. Uh, you cannot be beneath everybody. We all can only flourish when we understand the equity of human life that God has designed for us. And then at last, there's financial and material stability that it's hard to flourish if you're worrying about, will you have a meal today or will you have a place to sleep tonight? This kinds of rudimentary elements of life are a part of human flourishing. And actually, that comes back to justice too. Mm -hmm. uh, justice creates a world and pursues a world where people have equal access and opportunity to make their way to financial and material stability. There's so much here that merges, and Jesus is giving us the key. If we'll just hunger and thirst for justice, we can then be satisfied. That's human flourishing. So, Jamie, this key to human flourishing that Jesus has given us seems to me to be hinged on these words hunger and thirst, because justice itself is an outcome, but man, I'm not going to be satisfied if I don't actually orient my life to crave justice. Can you think of a way I could do that? What if I don't have that passion now? What could I do to develop some passion? Well, maybe you could start with um, just praying and asking God to reveal his heart um, to you and to help you to see things as he sees them and um, help you to develop a, a thirst and a hunger for righteousness. This is one of my favorite prayers, you know, because it's so tempting sometimes to get um, in a place of just being stagnant or, you know, um, especially with everything going on around, it can cause you to feel kind of numb and cold or indifferent. And the temptation would be to, to kind of turn away and ignore it, you know, but we know that that isn't the heart of Jesus. You know, he came to those places that needed order restored and, and righteousness restored. And as his representatives, I think that that is part of his desire for us to bring things back to that place of Eden or, or flourishing and righteousness and justice. And so we can, we can ask God and then we can act upon that by not turning away when we see something that is not right or not just. We can definitely play our part and ask God to guide us in that and, and to not ignore, just turn away from um, the things that are going on in this world and ask God how we can 
be a blessing or a good influence in those situations. Absolutely. I mean, there are so many broken places. There are so many injustices. And sometimes it's easy to be removed from them in our comfort zones. Sometimes it's easy to see them but just want to walk by or just wish, oh, I want to go back to normal. I don't want to hear about that anymore. When actually, just because we don't hear about it doesn't mean it's not real. And so I so appreciate your advice there, Jamie, to just ask God to show us to open our eyes to see what he sees, and then to have the courage to face it. And my guess is, it's my conviction actually, that all of us have been created new in Christ Jesus for everyone who surrendered into his arms. We've been created new in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good works that God planned long ago that we should walk in them now. That's a passage of the New Testament. And there are some unjust places in our world around each of us that I think God created us to mend. But we'll have to pray for the Lord's wisdom to see and then the courage to stand up. And it can be scary and it can assume some risk, but what I'm hearing Jesus say is, that's where your life is going to flourish. You are going to be satisfied when you know that your life has been tuned up and focused on the pursuit of justice and righteousness. And that's a wow. And so in this world so broken around us, it's really encouraging me to think that I can actually flourish in this world, in part because there are so many broken places, <laughs> and I can actually make it better. How about you? Wherever you are in life today, and you're thinking, I don't know if I have any meaning and purpose. I'm not sure how I can flourish. My world is too complicated. I've suffered too many losses. I, I just don't know what to do next, or I'm so angry and frustrated or disoriented. I don't know what the plan is. Even in this desperate world, no matter how desperate are your circumstances, you can flourish right now. And one key that Jesus has given us is to develop that hunger and thirst for justice and righteousness. It may not seem like a direct line to solving your problems, but I think it is a direct line to the flourishing of your soul. You will be satisfied, and perhaps new doors will open as you pursue this door. How to do it? Well, just like Jamie suggested, let's pray. Let's start right now with a prayer. You can join us. Pray with us. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful today that you know every one of us by name and not one of us is here by chance. We're so thankful, Lord, that you see our challenges. You know what mountains we have to climb. You also see the broken places all around us. I thank you, Lord, that you are hearing our prayer. And we thank you for the voice of Jesus across the ages captured in the Word, the Scripture, in the Sermon on the Mount. We admit, Lord, that we need him to help us. And now, Lord, help us to develop a hunger and a thirst for the things that move you, justice and righteousness. I pray that every person who is today making a decision with us to, in this week to come, crave justice and righteousness, that we will, in this week, find ourselves flourishing and satisfied, no matter what the risks assumed. Give us courage and wisdom. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of life you've given to each of us and we even thank you for these difficult days, for the ways in which they are opportunities for us to hunger and to thirst after justice and righteousness. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you'd like to know more about how you can hunger and thirst after the things of God, after justice and righteousness, if you'd like to know more how you can go deeper with this Jesus who can transform every element of your life and help you to actually flourish no matter what your circumstance. If you'd like to know more, 
just give us a call. Dial this number, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439, 24 hours a day and seven days a week. We're by the phone. So glad to hear from you. But Jamie, I know some people won't call us up on the phone, but they might check us out online. Where would they find us? What's our address? You can find us at www.cbhviewpoint.org. That's right, CBH, Christians Broadcasting Hope. That's exactly who we are, cbhviewpoint.org. Check us out online, send us an email, we will reply. Perhaps you're actually accessing this conversation through a social media feed or stream. Well, then just put a comment up on that social media feed. We're monitoring that too, and we'd be so glad to reach out to you in that way. Or at the last, just write me a letter. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana 46018, USA. But whether you call us on the phone, check us out online, send us a message on a social media stream, or send me a letter, by whatever method you choose, please, let us hear from you this week. Be encouraged. The Lord wants you to flourish. We do too. Thanks, Jamie, for helping us unpack today. So glad to have you in the room. It's so good to be here. And we're so glad you joined us also. We hope you'll be with us again next time. But until then, for all of us at the Viewpoint Ministry team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, this is Jim Lyon. Stay tuned.